1988, there was an article written about us in a local newspaper, and it started off by saying this. Starting a new church is never easy, and in October of 1898, it must have been especially difficult. In the village of Talcott, an early logging town, which is called Walloon Lake, We're going to try something else. Here we go. Hike. Check. Alrighty. There we go. We're going to go with this. That's cool. I'm good. I need one hand to hold a Bible and one hand to do this. You guys cool with that? Alrighty. Um, so let me start the article over. You cool with that? Here we go. October 1988 or 1898. I'm sorry. It must have been especially difficult. In the village of Talcott, in an early logging town, which is now called Walloon Lake, in the still new village of Melrose, or the township of Melrose, the United Brethren had been given a parcel of land for a church by developers Lee and Montague. But the land needed clearing, and a building had to be put up, and the way to do it was with manpower, not machinery. With local volunteer labor, a work bee was held, and the land was cleared, and the lumber hauled, and the Church of the United Brethren, the first in Talcott, came to life. In just five years, there would be a population of 300. But even in 1898, the new minister would sometimes preach as many as five services a Sunday to those anxious to hear the Word of God. This church was dedicated on October 2nd of 1898. And it was actually led by a very energetic woman, Miss Maud Teachout. Originally started as a United Brethren Church in the early 1930s, the church voted to shift more to what is now a non-denominational church, which is what we've been ever since. Since our beginning, our church has been led by 17 different pastors. Um, and just to give honor where honor is due, our current senior pastor, Pastor Jeff, is the longest serving senior pastor we've ever had by a lot. Uh, he's been here over 30 years, and so we love you, Pastor Jeff, if you're watching this later. We love you. Um, currently, yeah, yeah, give him a round of applause. Currently, he is actually teaching over at East Jordan Community Church, uh, one of our other campuses. And because that campus pastor is on vacation right now, Pastor Jason, and so um, he's been here far more than any other pastor we've ever had, and so much honor is given to him. Our church is 123 years old. I don't know if you knew that or not. And over the years, we've seen a lot, and we've done a lot, and we've changed a lot. Uh, certainly hundreds, if not thousands, have given their lives to Jesus here as a, ministry, as a result of the ministry of Wallen Lake Community Church, including me. Uh, there's over a hundred years of proclaiming the word that has happened here. There is a rich history of our involvement in our larger community and in our village specifically that literally touches three different centuries. And here's the point. We have not survived this long. We have not got to the point that we are at today on accident. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about the values that have shaped us uh, into who we are today and the kind of impact that we've been able to have. Over the course of the next three weeks after this week, uh, Pastor Jeff is going to look at the strategies that we've established to kind of move into our God-given purpose. But here's the thing. It is hard to go forward 
if you don't know where you currently are. If you don't have an orientation of where you are and what got you there. I'll never forget, when I was a youth intern at a church in Chicago, we took a bunch of our students on a retreat called Youth Versus Wild. We took them up actually into northern Wisconsin, into the middle of the woods in a campground there. And after dinner one day, me and a bunch of other students were like, let's go exploring. And so we all went out on this exploring hike. And one particular student wanted to keep going and go further. And I was like, well, I'm not going to let him go by himself. And so me and him, we kind of continue on and the rest of the group goes back to the camp. Well, by the time we were like, you know what, let's, let's try to head back. It was actually getting really dark and we didn't know where we were. <laughs> we had explored beyond the map that we were familiar with. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so we're, we're taking this route and we're taking this route and eventually we find ourselves in the middle of this ginormous swamp that has a boardwalk going through it. And we're on this boardwalk and we're like, I don't know if that way is camp. I don't know if that way is camp. I don't know where we are. And by the time we got to the middle of the boardwalk, <clears throat> it was pitch dark. Like it was a huge swamp. And we had no idea where we are. And I was like, Weston, I, I don't know how to get back. And we, as we were talking, we decided we need to find a map if possible. Um, we had remembered we had seen one uh, maybe like 10 minutes ago as we were walking on this boardwalk. And so we're like, well, let's turn around and go try to find it. And honestly, it was, we had, didn't even realize like, how far away we were from it. And so we finally get to it. Again, pitch dark. I literally, I have one match in my pocket. I had one match. And I was like, this had better be the map. We finally got to this thing that we're like, we get like this close to it. And we're like, this had better be the map. Otherwise, we just wasted our one match. So we, we lit the match and we're like, Yep, that's the map. And we kind of, we found where we were. We, we found an orientation of where we were. And we realized we were on the absolute entire other side of this campground. Um, and it was, you know, miles away that we were, we had gone. And so we realized we're like, we are miles from where we're camping tonight. We are on the other side of this huge state park campground. And we need to know how to get back. And so the, within the you know, 10 seconds that we had of this match burning without burning my finger, we determined quickly where to go. And we, we eventually found our way back. The funny thing is when we got back, everyone was already set up camp, was in the tents, was almost sleeping, and they didn't realize we were gone. <laughs> Love you too, guys. <laughs> for the last two and a half years, the church leadership here has been seeking God for the vision and direction he has for this church. And we've been seeking him and working together. And we believe that, that God has revealed six core values and a very strategic discipleship path that are going to act as our map for orienting us where we currently, <clears throat> excuse me, where we currently are and how we are going to intentionally grow in discipleship and getting people plugged in into the right places here at our church. Our church's values and strategy are like this map that we discovered. <clears throat> it's going to give us a current view of where we are and a future view of what our impact can be as a church community, not only internally, but as we go forward into the rest of our community. So today, I want to talk about the core values. Okay? There's a lot leading up to that. I want to talk about the core values that if we're intentional to live by these things, they're going to 
lead us into establishing a culture here in our church that reflects the glory and the goodness of God. But let me just add this as a side note. These things won't be shaping our church if they are not shaping us individually. Right? We won't live this way if we're not living this way. Understand? And so here's, as I'm talking about the six core values, the application here is going to be this. There might be one of these or two of these that the Holy Spirit points out to you and says, yo, if the church community is going to be living this way, you need to grow in this area. I would encourage you as I go through these today, maybe if you're taking notes, like highlight one of these or underline one of these. Agree with the Holy Spirit, like that's the one I need to work on. Because we collectively, when we live with sanctified purpose in our individual lives, our individual lives will have power. But when we live with a shared purpose, when we're all pulling together like this, our church will have power. Okay? So, so if we're not living this way, then we're not going to be living this way. This is not the impact that our church is going to have if individually we aren't living this way. And so my encouragement to you is as I go through these six core values that shape everything about who we are as a church, I'd encourage you, man, listen to God as what he's pointing out to you to say, that's the one that you need to grow in, all right? And as we're all growing together, we're not perfect. This is partly descriptive of who we are. This is also partly aspirational of who we are called to be. Would you pray with me uh, as we, before we jump in? Jesus, I just pray, before, before we even get into anything, I pray that our hearts will be soft to hear what you have to say to us today. My specific prayer is, Lord, that you would inspire us to be the kind of people that you have called us to be. And that you'd also encourage us in the ways that we're getting it right. And you'd convict us in the ways that we still need to grow. So God, this morning I pray that our hearts would not be hard. That they wouldn't, our ears would not be shut up. But that we would be attentive to what your Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Amen. The first core value that we describe at our church is that Jesus is our everything. You could say amen. All right. In theory, you should be able to say amen about all of these. None of this stuff is going to be new information. Hopefully, it will be challenging or inspiring, though. Because most of this stuff, is, it's going to be like, yeah, duh. And in church, the way that we say that is amen. And so... Jesus is our everything. Here's, here's what we say about that, that he's the main thing we talk about, the one we lift the highest, the one that we point people to the most. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read the first four verses. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Jesus Christ, who, who is your life. I, I love that. And Jesus is our life. Here at Walloon Lake Community Church, he is our everything. He is the main thing that we talk about. He is the one that we lift the highest, the one that we point people to the most. Why? Because 
of a few things. Number one, he died in our place. He bore every single drop of God's wrath against our sin. And then he rose again to give us new life and one day bring us into glory. Because of Jesus, I've been justified. Right? I, I have been saved from the penalty of my sin. Because of Jesus, I'm being sanctified. I'm daily and gradually being saved from the power of my sin. Because of Jesus, one day I'm going to be glorified. One day, completely, I will be saved from the presence of my sin. And in Jesus, the party is just getting started. But Jesus is not just our everything because of what he's done for us. Jesus isn't worthy of worship only when he serves me. On his own, Jesus is entirely glorious, deserving of worship and worth lifting highest, primarily because of who he is. I notice 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this. He says in verse 5, you see, we don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made the light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of God. Jesus Christ. God shines the light of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus is the expression of God's glory. Jesus is our everything. He, he's the, the one we talk about the most, the one we lift the highest, the one we point people to the most. Not just because of what he's done for us, but also because of who he is. Jesus is our everything here at Walnut Lake Community Church. The second thing that we identified as a core value is that prayer is our power. We seek God in our gatherings, in our decisions, and in our private lives. Why? Why? Because when we pray, we are inviting heaven's resources into our earthly situation. Because heaven's resources are unlimited, we are inviting the all-powerful God into the present circumstance to ask them to fix or to do something that we could never accomplish alone. When we pray, our fears can be alleviated. When we pray, our faith can grow. When we pray, we can rest. When we pray, we can be at peace. When we pray, we can hand over our concerns to God. When we pray, we can gain confidence from the one who created us. When we pray, we can be healed. When we pray, we can find guidance and direction. When we pray, we are drawing power from God to whom we pray. We are, we are not the most powerful in our lives. We are not most powerful when we're standing before men or frankly, when we're standing against other men. We are most powerful when we are kneeling before God. This is why we, we seek God in our gatherings and in our decisions and in our private lives. We, we never strive to move and decide things in our own wisdom and strength. In fact, here at this church, Obviously, we have our prayer corner that is always available during any of the songs. People, we, we don't want you to think just coming here and being emotionally drawn up and inspired is going to be the thing that strengthens you during the week. You need the power of God. We have an email prayer chain, a webpage for 24-7 requests, prayer requests. We infuse every meeting and every decision that happens here at church with prayer before the meeting, during the meeting. Just this last week, we had a church board leadership meeting that routinely was stopped in the middle of decisions that we would just pray over. We don't just start the meeting with prayer and end the meeting with prayer, which we do, but we routinely are interrupted with our own wisdom 
We say, no, 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 we need to see God's wisdom on this. Prayer is our power. We recognize our total dependence on God for his strength and for his wisdom and for his healing and for his guidance and for his provision. We can do nothing on our own. Prayer is our power. So Jesus is our everything. Prayer is our power. Number three, family is our framework. We, we grow better together. We are not designed to do this Christian life on our own. In fact, Satan would love for you to think that you are. Right? He would love to separate you off to the side, get you doing this Jesus thing, just you and him, apart from the body of Christ, because that's the easiest point to pick you off and to make you fall. We grow better together. Family is our framework. Turn, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I just realized something. I didn't read you where in the Bible we believe that prayer is our power. And I hope you just read between the lines and go, duh, because the Bible talks about it constantly. Ephesians 6.18 says this, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. That's the culture of this church. That prayer is our power that's infused in everything. Additionally, family is our framework. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Members of God's family. He's talking about the church. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. Anybody here doing home renovations or building a new house or, okay, I was just talking to someone, so am I, right? Building Anyone built their own house ever? Okay. Would you ever go to the store and buy one brick and choose to live under that? No. Why? Because first of all, if it falls on you, it's going to hurt. And you don't know, it won't fall on you. Second of all, it's not going to keep you dry. It's not going to keep you safe. It's not going to keep you warm. It's not going to give you enough space to put your Christmas tree up. I know that's a debate right now. It's not Thanksgiving yet. You don't buy one brick to call it a house. You are a brick in this house. And together, we make up the dwelling place of God. The place for the world to come and say, I can find God there. But on your own, you cannot. We, family is our framework. Family is our framework. Verse 21, we're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are being made part of this dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. God has specifically designed the church to be the place where we are molded and shaped into the likeness of Jesus Christ more and more as we interact with each other and as we do life together. So much so that the Apostle Paul is referring to the church as God's family. We are united together in a very similar way to a family. No matter how much someone irritates you, you belong to them for the rest of your life. I mean, you guys are waiting to just like, oh, I cannot, I'm not looking forward to that one person at our Thanksgiving gathering coming up. You know what I mean? You know that person. You don't have to say who they are. You know who they are. You know, and it's just like, ah, there are people, in the, can we just speak to the elephant in the room? There are people in this church who are like that to you. Amen. 
And God says, man, your family, you are stuck together for the rest of your life. You belong together. And, and here's the thing. God has set us up that way on purpose. Why? Because there are characteristics of Jesus that you will never experience or never develop into until you are rubbing shoulders with and intentionally interacting with other imperfect human beings who belong to God's family. For example, you will never learn the love of Jesus and fully experience his love until you choose to act in love towards someone who cannot repay you. You won't get it. You will not learn the patience of Jesus until there's an irritating person or situation in your life. God doesn't give you patience. He gives you irritating people. He gives you hospital bills that just take forever to figure out. Right? You don't learn the humility of Jesus until you need self-control when provoked by someone else. You don't learn the kindness of Jesus until you extend yourself in kindness to someone in need and realize that that's what God's done for you. You don't learn the faithfulness or as the King James Version says, the long-suffering of Jesus until you need to be faithful to a person or a situation that you wanted to give up on a long time ago. You do not understand how faithful Jesus is to you until that point. You don't learn the gentleness of Jesus until you want to explode your emotions all over the place and the Holy Spirit is actively at work inside of you, working to calm you down and act appropriately and speak tenderly. And you realize God could have been so angry at you, and he did that instead. And it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, Romans chapter 2. You don't experience Jesus and become more like him until you are interacting with real, imperfect human beings in God's family. And the best place to grow like this? Church. Please don't run from a local church body because of some other imperfect human. Chances are you've given them plenty of reasons as well. So have I. I'll just speak to that. I have to. And we believe that family is our framework. That we function like a family and so we grow better together. Number four. Here's the fourth value. That scripture is our source. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 4 verse 12. Hebrews 4 12. The writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joints and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. At, at Walden Lake Community Church, we believe very strongly, we boldly claim that the Bible is the very word of God, is the primary revelation to mankind. And as such, it is inspired by God. It is inerrant, without error. And it is the final authority for our lives. And, and frankly, every other authority in our lives comes underneath the authority of the Word of God. We submit to the Word of God. The Apostle Paul actually writes to the young pastor, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3. He says, all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses the Bible, the Word of God, to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. In other words, we can have every confidence that the Bibles that we are holding today are not only from God, but it is sufficient for life and the influence that God has entrusted to us. 
Our confidence is secure because God has not only spoken, but his divine speech is definitive. We have a reliable guide for our personal faith, for our community, and for our families in the middle of a storm. Scripture is our source. This is why the Bible is the foundation for everything that we teach, everything that we practice, everything that we preach. In fact, the first Sunday that you hear a sermon that does not include the Word of God is the day that you will know we have shifted from who God has called us to be. Human artistry is beautiful. Reader's Digest, Shakespeare, Aretha Franklin, they're certainly enjoyable to talk about, but they are not the divine, definitive, inspired utterance of the creator of all things. And they are not what we base our life and our church on. You will never hear a sermon here based primarily on human artistry. And if you do, maybe it's time to find another church, a church where scripture is their source. We find our solid foundation on the Word of God. It's the source of life, the source of protection, the source of stability and revelation and vision. Scripture is our source. And because of this, this is why we say the Bible is the foundation for everything that we teach and we preach and we practice. Scripture is our source. All right, all right, all right. Just making sure you're still with me. Number five, love is our lifestyle. Love is is our lifestyle. We share with others what we've already received from Jesus. I love how 1 John says it. 1 John chapter 4. Turn with me there. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 11. He says, uh, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So here's the application. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. There is not an infinite offense that someone has committed against you in the same way that you have against God. And so if God has loved us infinitely, you can at least love somebody else. He goes on to say, we love each other? Why? Where do we find the desire and the motivation to love each other? Verse 19, we love each other because he first loved us. And it's really hard for me to be aggressively angry at somebody when I realize that God died for them. I, I actually, I don't love somebody. When I, when I don't love somebody, one of the things that has slipped my mind is the fact that God has loved me more than I could possibly love that person. All right, love is our lifestyle. Jesus people, when they're demonstrating love, they are intentionally doing things, caring in Jesus' name, regardless of the personal cost or consequence to themselves. It was not cheap. It was not easy or clean for God to love you. It was personally costly. So I'm convinced, guys, that we live in a love-starved world. And so of all places, the people of God, God, who is the literal incarnation of love, the people of God should be exactly where this world is turning to experience the love that they are missing. 
Let me ask this difficult and challenging question. How many churches that you've ever been to, how many of them would you feel comfortable inviting a lost person to, an unsaved person to, somebody who's desperately needing God's love? Here's a quick hint. If the answer is not 100% of them, then it's possible that the church of Jesus Christ that exists in our country has a lot of soul work to do. Literally every body of believers should be the living, breathing demonstration of the overflowing love of God, according to 1 John 4. All of us, without exception, you should never come into a church and think, this is the time I can let my guard down and not love somebody. It's possible that if there's a church where that's not the case, that that church is, is not overflowing to the the love to the worst of sinners, to the least of, peop the least of these, it's possible that in that church the gospel is not fully understood. It's possible that in those places Jesus' people haven't fully grasped the depth to which Jesus stooped to value us and to redeem us and to wear our sin and to bear God's infinite wrath against it. Not only against my sin, but against your sin, against the person who's irritating to me, against their sin. And if that ever becomes a lived reality here, it's possible that we have forgotten how much we've been loved by the sinless Son of God. Love is our lifestyle. Here at Wild Lake Community Church, this is a huge value that we cling to, that we even aspire to, that love is our, it's our lifestyle. It's, it's, in this church, we share with others what we've received from Jesus. This is who we are. And no, we don't get it right every time. But I need you to hear this. In this church, love is our lifestyle. It's not something we pretend to do when others are watching or when we could curry favor with a special someone or we could get a few extra likes on Instagram because someone saw us doing something kind. That's not what love is. Love is not a, a temporary action that we do in the spotlight. Love is a lifestyle. Sun up, sun down. Spring, summer, winter, fall, when it's easy, when it's hard, when I feel like it, when I'd rather do anything else. Love is not just a fad. In this church, love is our lifestyle. We share with others what we've received from Jesus. Let me give you a quick example that comes to mind. There's this wonderful ministry in our church called the Cozy Quilters. And there's a bunch of ladies who get together and they, they knit quilts, or I don't know, they quilt quilts? What's the verb? They, they do quilts. They make, they make quilts. There we go. They quilt quilts. Um, I love them, by the way. Because what they do is they make hand-fashioned quilts specifically for people enduring physical challenges. And just over two years now, I was unable to show up here for almost two weeks, just over two weeks, actually, um, because I was extremely sick. Um, I couldn't barely talk, and I couldn't get out of bed. I was in bed almost all day for almost two weeks. Um, at the end, I could kind of get up and move around. But I was just, I was so sick. I mean, and I barely ate anything. And, and during that time, someone drove by our house to drop off a care package. And in it was a quilt. And attached to this quilt was a note that said that, that they were praying for me, that they loved me, that they had prayed over the quilt. And it was an awesome quilt, by the way. I had coffee. If you know me, I love coffee. 
and it had coffee things all over it. So it was very personal. And, um, and every time I snuggle up in that quilt, I just took a nap in it the other day. And it reminds me, I'm, I'm prayed over. That someone here loves me. That the love of God was flowing through somebody into this. And now I'm wearing it. As a great example that love is, love is our lifestyle. And can I just tell you that that kind of love, it feels like it comes from God. And this is not just me. Okay, these ladies stitch quilt after quilt. It takes them dozens of hours to make. And it just sends this loud message, message that, that God loves you. How do we communicate things like this? When love is our lifestyle. When I don't have an expiration date on the plan for doing this kind of thing. So love is our lifestyle. And the last but certainly, certainly not least, is outreach is our objective. I say this very loud and clear. Lost people matter to Jesus, and so they matter to us. Lost people matter to Jesus, so they matter to us. Um, I, I love how Luke chapter 15 starts off. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to Jesus, came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with sinful people and even eating with them. And then the rest of Luke 15 goes on to describe Jesus' overflowing desire for lost people to come and find a home in God. That lost people matter so much to Jesus that he gave up the, the glories and the riches of heaven. And he gave up his reputation among men to make them feel loved and wanted by the God of the universe. The lost people matter so much to Jesus that he drained every last drop of his blood to redeem them and rescue them. And in fact, even in Matthew 16, 19, Jesus is described as a friend of sinners. Lost people matter to Jesus. And all of heaven would shout a resounding yes to this. But here's the question. Do they matter to you? They matter to us. I want you to think about something for a moment. If you personally, in your life, were feeling an overwhelming sense of hopelessness, you're feeling like you were lost and you were drifting without anyone to give you a sense of meaning, and you were feeling like, I feel like I'm finally ready to try Jesus, where do you think you would go first? You would most likely look to a church or to Jesus' people. Here's my point. The people of Jesus who gather in local churches should be the absolute best place to find Jesus. This, the life of this community here at Walloon Lake Community Church and your lived expression of your faith should be very obvious that I can find Jesus with you. I can find Jesus here and for the most part, honestly, y'all, I feel like we do a very fantastic job of living this value. I'm constantly hearing about, or even, I was just reading like 30 different Google reviews this week, about the love of God overflowing from you. But there is a major perception in our culture that lost people need to clean up their act or like get religious before they can come into a church. I can't tell you how many times I've invited somebody to church, and they said, if I ever darken the doors of your church, I'd building will burn down. 
You ever heard that before? I can't go to church. That place is going to burn down. And the implication is that they think that their presence here would ruin everything. And unfortunately, sometimes we give validation to this assumption. In fact, a few years ago, there was a teen funeral here, um, which is tragic. Uh, just to hear the story of a young student, high school student, who died by suicide. And, and it, was, it was overwhelmingly sad. And I remember I stepped out and I went to the bathroom. And uh, based on the smell of cannabis, just overwhelming that bathroom, it was pretty obvious that someone was having a hard time dealing with their pain. And I remember hearing this after the funeral. That Man, it's great that they were here, but what are we going to do to make sure that this place never smells like that again? Can I be honest with you? I hope this place smells like that every week. Because it would mean that somebody who feels lost and doesn't exactly know the right way to deal with all their pain has come to find Jesus among the community of Jesus people. I hope that there are addicts and abusers sitting in front of me every week. Not because that's the direction we're going, but because we are the direction they're coming. Lost people matter to Jesus. Lost people should matter to us. That this is the lifestyle and the value that we hold, that this place is a place to find the only hope of the world. That the local church should be the hope of the world, the beacon that shouts to the world that you can be saved, you can find hope, you can be loved. Because you matter to Jesus. We can be the people to turn this perception around, the perception that Jesus' people can be the shining example That in Jesus, you can have a home. In Jesus, you can have belonging. In Jesus, you can have an eternity and a hope. We can be those people. In fact, Luke 19 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That is his purpose. That is our purpose. Here at Walnut Lake Community Church, we hold this value. That outreach is our objective. When you leave church today, you are not just going home. You are entering your mission field. There's a whole world desperately in need of what you have. Outreach is our objective. Lost people matter to Jesus. And so they matter to us. So these are our six core values. Jesus is our everything. He is the main thing that we talk about. The one that we lift the highest. The one we point people to the most. Number two, prayer is our power. We seek God in our decisions, in our gatherings, in our private lives. Number three, family is our framework. We believe that we grow better together. Number four, scripture is our source. The Bible is the foundation for everything that we teach and we preach and we practice. Number five, love is our lifestyle. We share with others what we've received from Jesus. And finally, outreach is our objective. We believe that lost people matter to Jesus, so they matter to us. This is who we are. This is who God has called us to be. But let me just remind you that these things will not be shaping our church as a whole if they are not personally shaping us as individuals and families. We, we won't live this way if we aren't living this way. So I need to ask, do any of these lack in your life? 
Is the Holy Spirit pointing something out to you that maybe isn't quite yet a characteristic of, of your life? Is, is Jesus your everything? Is he, and I, I'm not talking about is he just a name that you wear as Christian. Is he your everything? Is he the main thing that you talk about? The one that you lift the highest? The one that you point people to the most? Is prayer your power? Are you seeking God in your meetings, in your private lives, and in your decisions? Is the church family your framework? Are you planted in the local church alongside other believers actively growing together? Is scripture your source? Is the Bible the foundation for how you live? Is love your lifestyle? Are, are you sharing with others what you've received from Jesus? Is outreach your objective? Lost people do matter to Jesus, but the question is, do they matter to you? This is who we are, church. This is what our community is striving to be like. These values, however, will not transform this church community if they're not personally transforming us as individuals who make up this community. So to say it another way, let me say it this way. When we live with sanctified purpose, our lives have power. But when we live with shared purpose, this church has power. Let's boldly move into the next 123 years of influence on purpose. Jesus, I pray that this would be the place where you are lifted the highest and, and listened to the most and, and the most influential. But Lord, I also pray that this would be the place where people flock to come to find you. God, I, I pray that every seat here would be filled with people who are seeking to hear from Jesus. I pray that our parking lot on a normal Sunday would be hard to navigate because of how full it is, because of lost people seeking Jesus. I pray that our lives would be living billboards for the love of God who descended from heaven to earth to redeem a people and call them, call them his own. God, I pray that we would be embodying these values and that as, as a collective, that this church would boldly point to the goodness and the grace of God. Amen.